World War II may have ended 73 years ago, but for a shrinking group of Echuca Moama men, their memories remain crystal clear. Andrew Mole has interviewed five men. Here are the voices of our veterans. Cliff Spears is 96, but still can't believe he's a day older than 75. He joined the RAAF the minute he was old enough and managed to survive years of war before coming home. He would serve in the Middle East and Italy and on his return became active in the RSL and Legacy, devoting decades of service to them both. Asked what Remembrance Day means to him, Cliff did not hesitate. Everything. It remembers the ones we lost. I'll always remember them, especially when the last post is played. And where were you when you enlisted? Living here in Echuca. And how old were you when you enlisted? 19. 19. And where did you do your basic training? Went to Shepparton. We did our rookies there. They tried to teach us how to use a rifle. And marched with left, two left feet or whatever you like. And then we went to Shepparton. Went back to school at uh, the college there. And we enjoyed that because it was six weeks we back to school and was camped right in there. And what were you doing in the school? Teaching us the basics of um, aeroplanes. I was what they called a, a fitter, 2A. They right. used to be the repairs on all the airframes, not the engines, on the airframes. And did you specialise in a particular plane? Oh no, it was on, on many planes. Oh, everything. We had fighters and bombers and medium bombers and then we had the, the last lot was a 460 squadron was the Lancasters. Right. When, when we got to England. Now I understand before you left you spent some time in Mildura. Yes, well that was my first posting after we finished our course at showgrounds in Melbourne. That's where we seen the first little aeroplane and started us out of work that we went to Mildura. I was there for nine months with number 202U squadron. Whereabouts did you serve overseas? I served in Benghazi for nine months. Right. And then we moved over invasion of um, Italy and we picked up the invasion. We was on the east coast and we went in, landed at Pescara. And then we moved up to to Cesenatica and then to Falconara, and then we finished right up at Una Day. Right. right so always on air bases? Yes. Right. And did you, because you were working on the airstrips and looking after the planes and that kind of thing, did you ever have any problems anywhere with strafing, bombing? At one stage when we finished, we was the closest aerodrome to any front in the whole war. And where was that? That was at Udini. Right. Yeah. That's where it finished. Right, okay. Was there much activity towards the end of the war or had the... Had no, well pretty... one of the reasons is we couldn't make out why after we left Benghazi, came over and we had no enemy planes come, only one. Right. And we, when we got up to the finish of it, because we could talk a little bit of Italian, and we asked what happened. He says, well, he only had a fuel and one of the things they were towing the aeroplanes to take off at the aerodromes. Like a glider? Yeah, they had no fuel. And the whole reason was we bombed the oil wells and cut off his fuel. 
Right. And that's really the reason I still think that we run it to a certain extent. What made you enlist? Well, partly it was, I think we was all called up at the, when you were turned 18. And we, Japan had came into the war by then. And uh, we thought, well, you go in. So I took the Air Force and that's the reason why. Things wasn't very nice around here in 1942. What were the problems here in 1942? Well, the danger of the uh, war, we didn't know where it was going. As far as that, so many boys had gone away and never come home. Right. And when you were in North Africa, how long were you in North Africa? We were there just on 12 months. And was Rommel still there at that time? No, we, we were a bit young going in because the war had been going for a while. So I didn't get to thanks to it in one way that we were able to uh, come in late. And one of the things that did happen See, up at Mildura, the three squadron boys had come back from overseas and they'd been there and they told us then that most likely they were going to Italy and we, before we left here, they had invaded Italy. Right. Mm. And then you went over to Italy? We went over, after, we went over afterwards. Right. And the Italian campaign, a lot of people don't know much about the Italian campaign because it wasn't seen as a main theatre after the invasion of Normandy, but it was a, a pretty violent, bloody and long campaign, wasn't it? Yes, in one way, but there was a difference from the Middle East because there was only dust and dirt and nothing else there and flies. <laughs> and flies. The only one good thing about the Mediterranean, we swam in there, the Mediterranean, and that was give us a little bit of a break. But over in Italy, it was a lot to see. It's a wonderful country. Right. When we walked into, went over and went to Pescara, we landed. They couldn't get over the trees and the way the Italians worked. And what was different to say being in Well, the they was backward to a certain extent because they only used the horse and the little ploughs to do their gardening and they used to grow fruit trees and then they'd grow vegetables inside. Everything was trying and make it a little bit better and a bit easier for everyone. And what sort of shifts were you, did you sort of work around the clock as required? Or? Well, it all depends. We didn't go on the night flying till later on we got there, but up to then, it all depends what flight they took off. See, sometimes the one I did lose we was in Benghazi and he had an early morning flight and we had to have this, about five or six of us to get the plane ready. Right. And uh, we took him, he took off. And I'll never forget it. He, uh, I strapped him in and I said to him, George Lyles, I said, I'll see you when you come back, George. I knew the whole crew, the whole four of them. We waited eight and a half hours and they didn't turn up and they went in somewhere, and we don't know for certain, it could be in, in Italy, in the Mediterranean. I don't know what happened, we oh, lost them. Right, what sort of plane was that? That was a Baltimore. So he was on a bombing run? Yes, he was on a bombing run that day. Well, he could have been on reconnaissance too. Right. But he was heading up towards, he never, one thing they never told us ever where they were flying to. Okay, so that was always top yeah, secret. He used to talk to them, it's like you and I are talking. And he never told us, he used to have something else to say about. Hmm. Was he the only crew that you lost? 
then I was close to yes. Oh, we lost a lot of crews. Yeah. I haven't got the exact figure, but we got lost a lot of crews. And how long had you known George and his crew? Oh, about three months. Right. Yeah. He flew number O. That was the plane I serviced. Right. He was one of the pilot, one of the crew that came then. Okay, so I suppose they had a lot of trust in you guys to service their planes and make oh, sure they, they were did. tip top. See, there was the electricians and then there was the bomb armors and the mechanics and the fitters and the radio. Right. So it's about six of us used to make, we had to inspect that plane and it couldn't go off the ground till we signed it how that we were, uh, uh, said it was okay to go out. And how many planes basically would your squadron have? We had to have 12 all the time. Right. Ready to go. And, we and was that a bombing squadron or did you yeah, have fighters Yeah, light too? bombers mostly. Light, light bombers. Yeah, they carried a thousand pound. Bombs? Yeah. Right, okay. And how many missions would they be expected to do? I think it's 40 or 50. I'm not too sure on right. that one. And then they could be rotated out? Yeah. Right, but you guys just kept working? We kept, well, we just had it as long as the planes were, we didn't have any parades or any description at all. We just worked on our planes and when they was ready to go, we waited till they'd come back. Right. Hmm. So when you went over to Italy, what sort of planes were you working with there? Baltimore. We took our own planes with us. Oh, okay. Oh, they gave us a new lot and others went to 459. And did you end up getting onto the bigger ones, like the Lancs? No, it was only time as we got over to 460 Squadron. We serviced one of those and, of course, it had all wore it finished then. Right. Mm. Okay. How did you stay in touch with your family while you were away? Was it just letters? Did the letters you got from home always find you or did some go astray? Oh, they did. We were very fortunate, especially in Italy. We didn't know this, but uh, what they called a double rise. They had Catalinas flying out of Fremantle and they'd, they'd take two rises, they used to call it, and uh, they would land in Bombay, in Colombo, Solanco. Right. And they'd bring the mail across there. We got mail within about seven, eight days from home. It was nice to get the news, especially of people, especially the ones I went to school with. Right. Yes, I got a lot of letters. I wrote a thousand letters while I was away. Yeah, they all got there. You know, I used to write to Audrey three times a week and she wrote back to me. Right, okay. And I suppose mail call was a pretty popular time at the base, was it? Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> and did you get things, other things sent from home, like, um, Clothes or? Oh, we got cakes. Cakes? Yeah, fruit cakes. Well, the mother used to make one, bake one, and then other people, and we got some from the Comforts Fund. Right. And out of a warm extension, they had a Comforts Fund, um, and they used to send cakes over too. Yeah, we'd save them up and then we'd find out we had a birthday party, we'd say we'd have a birthday party and, right. and have it in the tent. And did you know locals that went away at the same time as you that didn't come back? Yes. Well, I was only a young boy at the time, of course, but I think we lost one or two from out our district out there. I remember, I know one went out in the light horse and he didn't come back. He was over in the Middle East. Right. Yeah. Mm. And, and at the same time, you were a very keen member of the Masonic Lodge. Yes, I've enjoyed every time. I, I'm a very, very pleased person to be able to be in the Masonic Lodge and be invited into that. And whereabouts, was, which branch were you in? In the Chuka area. We had a lot of veterans. We used to have a 
service for the ex-servicemen. Once a year we ran that for a long time, Must had a Masonic service. Do you have any good memories of your time in service, things you did with your mates from the crews and that sort of thing? Yes, I suppose, with the war, I think the biggest kick I got in the teeth, I will say, is when I got word to say that my cousin, a 20-year-old, was killed with a sniper in Borneo. Right. I think that's the one that hit me. And uh, even now, when the, the last post is sounded, I can remember two or three of the boys were lost before, and uh, they were the main ones it sort of comes back to me. Right, mm. okay. When you think back on those years, what do you recall most about your time with the Royal Australian Air Force? Well, the first thing I can remember was the beauty of the whole lot when they announced that uh, the war was finished. I think that was when they dropped those atom bombs. We were travelling from Naples over to England and we used to go out to 460 Squadron and word came through to say the war was finished and the words went around, we're going to get home. I think that's the nicest thing that's ever happened to us. So that would have been obviously in August 1945. That's correct. So how long did it actually take you to get home? Because we were a long way away from England after oh, the war was over. we didn't get home until January the 3rd. In 1946? Right. The, um, boat we was coming home on, it only got out 48 hours and broke down, it done a tail shaft and we had to limp all the way back to Southampton and we stopped there for another fortnight in England and that's why we didn't get home with Christmas. Right, and when you got home in January in 46 and you looked around at a land and a countryside that hadn't been physically touched by war, did you have a little trouble adjusting to that or did you just move straight back in and picked up where you left off? I just picked up from where I left home. Right, and what did you do when you, what was your next sort of 15, 20 years? What, you farmed? Yeah, we went back straight into the farm. Right. I what? went back on the tractor the next day. Well, it was interesting, I didn't know about this <clears throat> a couple of months afterwards and they said, how does Cliff come when he come home? Was there any difference in him? And the father said, I don't think so. He said he got up next morning after we come off the boat and we went out to meet him and he got up and he just went back to where he started from. Now, I'll never forget it, it was 1946 and they got a very, the drought was on for about 1942 to 46. And the first brother was there, he was home. And uh, he said they had, wasn't going to strip or anything at all by the look of things. And the, uh, it got a rain late in November. And they, all the oats started to grow up again. That was my first job to go back and strip the oats. Right. They'd had four years of drought. And you did it as though you'd never missed a beat. Yeah. One occasion they put in crop one year and they put the sheep on them because it only got three to four inches high. The next year they did the same. In the second, third year they said, well, wait, let's see if it rains. And it lasted, well, it didn't rain. <laughs> so that's how dry it was. Well, some things never change. It's about the same at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it's just yes. no rain. So when you came home, you did a lot of work with Legacy. Well, I came in because a couple of my very good friends was in Legacy. I knew very little about it. 
And the reason partly is, of course, is to look after the widows. Anything that happened to me, somebody would look after Audrey and I says, well, that's what we're there for. And so I've been in legacy all that time and enjoyed every bit of, because they're just like sisters I didn't have. Right. And how many widows do you think you would have worked with over the years? Around over 50, I think. Right. And do you still have any today? I've got two. Two left. Okay. When you came home, you got involved in a lot of things. You were fundamental in the establishment of Rich River Golf Club. Yes. Yes. And you sort of had some need to serve or did you feel that, you know, you wanted to give back what you could do? What sort of kept you going through those things? No, I wanted to... uh... Well, the first thing was, was 12 months before we were married, but then I took on the farm and I uh, was fortunate enough to join the lodge and then I was invited into Legacy and that's what I put a lot of time into there. But Audrey and I were very good dancers. Well, I'm not saying we weren't, but we were. And she was invited to do the judging of the balls in the district. And of course they'd say, well, you come along and compare the balls. So that's how we did all the complaints. So you're the complete package? Oh, yes. We did a lot of that in the district. Right. Okay. From all the people that you serve with and you've been mixed up with in Legacy, do you have any particular friends that you kept for a long time after the war? Yes, I kept one particular friend, or two friends. The one over in Adelaide, unfortunately, has passed on, Bill Kenrick. But the other one, Stan Stack and I, we ring each other birthdays. And uh, he's up in Coolangatta. Right. But, uh, out of the 62 of us that went away, him and I, we, we know that they're still alive. And the other 60 are gone? We don't know. We can't know. That's you all. can't find them all? They no. came all. Everybody came home. Yep. But they um, passed on. They fell off the perch since then. Like a lot of... Older people, I mean, I do the same thing myself now. I look at photos of myself when I was much younger. So when you look at that soldier there, what do you think about those days now? Well, somebody said the other day they hadn't seen me for 20 years or something, you haven't altered. (laughs) So I think I have. I think you see my face and see that down there. Yeah, he looks a pretty strapping young bloke there, doesn't he? Oh, just like anybody else. Same weight as I am now. So what would be your message to people today as to how they should look back on the war and the Australians who served in it and died in it? Well, the the main thing is to remember that uh, about the war, why cannot we all be the same instead of wanting to fight all the time? But the, the way we were, of course, the enemy was coming into Australia and we didn't want them here. Otherwise, if we hadn't gone, thousands and thousands of us, we wouldn't have been here. If Japan had got here, where would we have been?